Hello, and welcome to the second episode of The Diode. Tonight we are starting our first two-part story called Billy Blue. Uh, this story is a little bit more rock and roll than the vacuum, as we follow a young man called Chuck, a confused delivery boy who gets wrapped up into a whole boatload of trouble. So without further ado, Billy Blue. Walter reached over and pulled another hams out of the case. Fuck yeah, he said as he snaps the top open and begins to pound another beer down. Where to next? Finnegan's? I ask him. My arms are getting tired from carrying around 30 beers or less. Yeah, sure, he says. Walt is a bigger guy, bigger than I am and about a foot taller. But yesterday he lugged around the casket, so today it's my turn. Other brigaders are out and about in the fringe tonight. Some of those metal thrashers are out in bigger groups. Usually it's better to avoid them at this time of night, even if I've got Walt with me. Finnegan's is at the bottom of a hill in a dead end. Its back is against one of the huge abandoned red brick buildings. As we pull the corner, we see a man is passed out in his vomit on the cobblestone. He lifts his head up at the sound of feet near his face and holds up his hand. For an old time thrasher! I toss him a beer out of sympathy. The fuck did you do that for? Dub V says. The man has already opened the beer and is trying to crane his neck back so he can suck it down. Walt walks over and tears it out of his hands. Hey, man, the old guy says. Walt pounds the beer like a silo. Learn to fucking party, grave stuffer. You learn, you fucking pussy, the old guy says as he mutters something and falls back asleep. You didn't have to do that, I say to Walt. It's Wednesday night, see. What's a timer like that doing down by the park at this time of night? I was just doing him a favor. We walk into Finnegan's. The glow of cheap-colored Christmas lights strung up behind Hawaiian laves gives the place a friendly sort of come-get-messed-up feel. The place is actually busy. A bunch of young kids are in here spending money tonight. Walt and I grab a seat at the nearest booth. I throw the casket up on the table and pull out a beer. Ah, nectar from the land of sky-blue waters, I say taking a sip. Make that inhaling wisp noise you make after drinking a delicious beverage. Cheers to that, Walt says as he crushes up his beer can. Good looking crew out tonight. Compound kids, I think, Walter replies. Nice, someone tainted. Looking to get tainted, Dub V says, giving me that you know look. We both take a peel of the crowd. There's probably 30 to 40 kids in here. Usually Finnegan's only has the remains of the ex soldiers like Walter and some grunge kids. Tonight, there were visible labels on clothes, and there were actually women in the bar. I take another sip of my beer. We gotta get up on this, Walter says. I take another sip. I don't know. I just wanted to break some windows tonight. You fucking puss. Walter grabs a beer and walks into the crowd. I continue to drink. Walter and I have to finish the beer before we head back to our respected hovel, which is unfortunately on the other side of the divide. Walter comes back with a couple of girls underneath his arms. Veronica, I'd like you to meet Charles, Walt says as he keeps the cuter girl under his arm and sits down. Chuck, I say, extending my hand. Veronica, she says, smiling. So where are you from, Veronica? I ask politely. Oh, my family has a house on Rosemont. How'd you come down to Thrasher's Wharf on such a night? A bunch of the kids from the compound were heading out. I get it. 
Yeah, I wasn't going to go, but my little sis here, she says, messing up the girl's hair who's under Walt's arm, wanted to come out, and I figured it'd be better if she came with some friends than by herself. Cool. So, are you from the compound, or... she asked hesitantly. Walt and I live above that abandoned Jafar's building, just behind the gates by the vendor's market. Oh, I know the place. Um, sort of near the old elementary school, right? Yeah, that's the place. Cool, so what are you guys doing down here? Veronica asks. Oh, we come down pretty much every night. Okay, a couple of night wolves? You know it, I say jokingly, feeling cheesy the whole time. Well, me and B are probably going to hit up a party in the burbs after this if you guys want to tag along. Oh, for sure, Walt replies as he laughs and squeezes the girl under his arm. The girl laughs as she looks at him. Then her eyes drop as she looks me in the face and shoots me a much different smile. I look back to Veronica. When are you guys heading out? I don't know, whenever Mike says. I don't know how much booze is going to be at the party thing. Well, here, take a hams, I say as I throw her a beer. Thanks. The night wore on in the bar, me talking to Veronica, avoiding the topic of Christianity. The compound kids love Jesus, and B talking to Walt. Eventually, the crew Veronica was with decided to leave Finnegan's. I'm stuck carrying the case again, which is fortunately much lighter now. shout as they stumble down the rocky road in the dim orange light. A gunshot is heard in the distance, then two closer ones emanating out of Titan's playground. Walt turns instinctively, spinning B with him. Some of the bros duck for a sec. I'm used to the noise and just watch everyone else's reactions. The old-time thrasher that was on the corner has moved to the other side of the street. Walter, very intoxicated, digs around in the case with his empty hand and pulls out a hams. Hey, fuckface, Walter says. Still thirsty? He throws a beer at the guy as it ricochets off his skull, cocking his head slightly. Oh, I say as I run over, placing the casket next to the old man examining him. His skull has a dent in it from where the beer hit him, but there is already a pool of cold blood around him, leading to a crusty river from his nose. He was already dead, I announce as I grab the beer that hit him and throw it back in the box. After walking through the fringe, we hit the border into the compound. We have to finish the beer before we can cross over. Hey, help me with this, I say to the crew. All the guys come gather around. Walt grabs three beers with one hand and hands one to B. All the other guys start reaching in and pounding beers. What's your name? One of them said. Chuck. Mike, he replies. Steve. Jake. Bauer, as they keep introducing themselves while grabbing beers out of the box. I toss the dead box against the abandoned building. The border around the compound looks like an old national border crossing. Bright lights, a clean cubicle with a couple of guys standing around wearing armor and shotguns. Except most border crossings nowadays are pedestrian entrances. Not many people can afford cars anymore, and of those people, they're certainly not entering Titan's Wharf. IDs, says the heavily armored man with the shoddy at the gate. All the compound kids wearing fashionable clothes don't even get checked. But me, with my canvas trench coat, he pauses for one sec, and then recognizes me from work, and I get through.
Part 2. The area we were entering was called the Good Christians Compound State. Not that it was a compound, but at the center of these suburbs, at the top of the highest hill, in the Big Pine, there was a large Christian school that was all fenced in. This is where all the kids in the neighborhood ate, slept, and lived four days of the week. This state exploded with wealth as soon as the whole country broke up into island states. The streets here were nice, still largely dominated by foot traffic, but we were the only ones that were out at this time of night. I can hear the party before we get there. The dim sound of repetitive bass echoed out into the street. There's also a couple of armored SUVs, probably daddies, parked in the driveway. Veronica puts her arm under mine and pulls me along with a bit of a skip. Come on, this is it, Mike says as he leads the way up. Bass is blasting and large bright lights are flashing, fueling a tribalistic dance grind party. Damn, you kids know how to get down, Walt says. Wednesday night, motherfucker, Mike says. The compound kids get Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday off every week. So naturally, if one of their parents aren't home on a Wednesday, they throw a party that goes against all their convictions. Everyone is pretty messed up at this point. It's dawning on 2 a.m., however, which is just about the time when the real party gets started. The crew I was with disperses into the crowd. Veronica stays with me, getting straight into the groove. A little later, Veronica sees a girlfriend of hers, and they both walk away. Stay right here, she says to me. I dance a little to myself. A small hand grabs my arm and starts pulling me through the crowd. It's B, that girl Walt was with, and she's dragging me out of there. She looks back and gives me that smile again she gave me earlier. We pull into one of the back rooms and sit down on a bed. She pulls out a mirror and taps out a line on it. Here, she says. What is it? 2CT2, she says, handing me the mirror, and rolls up a compound 40K for a spout. Take this, she says. I take the rolled up bill and snort the pinkish powder. Ah! I say as I put palms to my face. She giggles as she taps out a line for herself. I can hear the bass of music pounding through the walls into my head. B snorts a line, does a couple of extra inhales as she rolls her head back. Then she turns over and we start kissing. next day I wake up in my shitty loft above Jafar's. My head feels like an axe dropped down on it. What day is it? I rewalk my footsteps from last night. From Finnegan's to Veronica to the Burbs to B. That's right, the sister. I had a hard time remembering the rest of the evening. It may have all just been a dream, but I remember something about gunshots? Or was that earlier? I don't know. I have to get up. The sun is shining through a hole in the corner. I slept in my clothes, so thankfully I don't have to get dressed. The apartment Walter and I share is a run-down red brick loft, and a lot of the bricks have fallen out, leaving holes and exposed boards in the walls. But it's a home, which is better than a lot of people can say. Thankfully, I sleep better than most on my futon mattress. To get to work, I ride on a homemade board with wheels on the bottom. I've installed a multi-pitch suspension system so I can roll over curbs. I live in the vendor's market, and I myself am a vendor's courier. 
I do a lot of jobs for random vendors all across town, from delivering stuff to watching stands to fixing mechanical parts. That's my specialty. I work through a small vending pimp named G-Force. Vendors go to G-Force, tell them the job, what time it needs to be done, and what they're paying for the job to get done. G-Force then puts these jobs on a board in his office, and people can come pick up these jobs while splitting 15% of the commission. The reason why a guy like me works for G-Force is not only because I don't have to look for work, but people know that I'm protected in a certain way, and should anything happen to me, justice would be served. Thursday is a busy day in the market because the compound kids like to come down and get all sorts of snacks and drugs and then sneak them back into the compound. Not only that, but there's still all the regular vendors selling ammo and groceries. The sky is a foggy orange today as I roll down the dilapidated streets. A few stands are set up on the side streets, but Broadway is the real vendor's place. I can see the Broadway crowd perpendicular to me from a couple blocks away. G-Force lives just off Broadway in an alley. I tuck down the alley and climb to the second floor up this rickety wooden staircase to get into his office. He has put a ramp, however, next to the stairs for couriers like me to pick up our speed for the next job. What's up, Chuck? G-Force says, standing and slapping my hand. I check the clock on the wall. Whoa, it's already 1.30? Yeah, man, you missed a lot of the good jobs this morning. It's G-Force's job to guilt trip me into working harder. His reputation is on the line as well. well what you got for me? Let me see, G says as he turns to his whiteboard. The gorillas are running low and want someone to go pick up some ammo and bring it back to their stand. Uh, what are they paying for that? Forty magnum rounds. Pass. Okay. Someone else will just have to take it. Here's an interesting one. Twenty thirty-odd eight bullets need to be delivered to the Cardinal Glass Building in Titan's Playground. How much are they paying? Sixty k compound dollars plus reimbursement for the ammo. Sure, I'll take it. G-Force hands me the tag with the number. 4634 on it, and writes my name next to the delivery. When did the order come in, and when does it need to be done by? There was a note under my door this morning, in 2 p.m. See you in a bit, I say. Peace out, see? I hear him say as I drop down the ramp and fly into the dense pedestrian traffic on my board. My head's about a foot above the crowd when I'm standing on the board, and it's generally a rule in the market not to slow down couriers. Cruising through the pack, I look for a familiar face. Walt's refurbished firearms and quality ammunition, the sign says. Walter waves me down as I roll up. And here you go, Walt says, handing a large grocery bag of ammunition to the scruffy man wrapped in rags. We call these guys rats. The man hands him six marketplace monies. Clever name. Marketplace currency, or MPMs, are empty lighters that have been heat-stamped by Winchester Abraham, the master of games and the elusive king of the vendor's market. Where'd you go last night? Dub V says to me. I have no idea, I say, holding my forehead. Well, that B girl ditched me, so I ended up hooking up with Veronica. I hope that's cool. Right on, I say, not wanting to tell him what I remembered. So what are you here for? Uh, 20 30-odd eights. That'll be 2 MPMs. Walter puts a bag under a converted cereal dispenser and pumps it twice, dispensing a little over 20 rounds. I hand him two stamped lighters. Rumor has it that the Roughnecks are planning something. Walt says, handing me the ammo. What, like a siege? I don't know. But the outskirters have been flooding to the market all day, and rumor has it that a couple of bourbon SUVs were flipped on their way to Glendale. 
Well, I got a delivery to make. See you later, I guess, Walt says as I roll away into the crowd. The divide, as it were, was the border between the vendor's market and the Titan's wharf. Only registered couriers and vendors were allowed to carry anything across. The divide is a large wall made of rusty scrap surrounding the vendor's market. Behind it is a large clearing that has been paved to rubble, giving about a hundred feet of buffer into the wharf. The compound is where most of the money comes from in Big Pine, and as a deal with Winchester Abraham to continue doing business, the vendor's market, as well as the compound, prohibits alcohol. So that's why Walt and I act like a couple of regular thrashers most nights and wander our way into Titan's Wharf in search of alcohol. That stuff is addictive. Titan's Wharf gets its name from the Titan's Playground, the name given to the place before the Great Collapse into island states. The city of Big Pine, Wisconsin, used to be a booming industrial city, with the industrial park right at the heart of town. When the financial collapse hit, all the businesses shut down, leaving massive abandoned industrial buildings that cover quite a large portion of the city. The Fringe, as it's called, is a string of shitty bars and shitty housing that surrounds the playground. This is where the drinking happens, and as a result, where thrashers hang out. The Fringe is about 15% of the wharf. The other 85%, well, who knows what goes on in there, but every so often, if the pay is good enough, I hop on my board and make a delivery out to one of those old abandoned industrial buildings. I roll past the dead-end Finnegan's as down, bumping down the cobblestone street. Low-level developments to my right and 30-story windowless brick walls on my left. I see one of the entrances into the playground. There is an arch of aluminum siding with the name Titan's Playground spray-painted across it. As I roll under the arch, it gets dark and cool, and the crumbling skyscrapers block out most of the light. I'm on my board with my courier badge on, so most people know not to shoot me or face the wrath of G-Force. But, then again, that's only most people. The air is damp and silent down here. I can hear my wheels grinding over bits of gravel and broken glass. Looking down the silent streets, I don't know if anything is looking back at me from the countless dark windows above. A shot rings out. The front half of my board explodes into shrapnel and splinters. I do a kick off what's left. Another shot. This one hits the back of my arm. I dive through a panelless window, ending up in an old company restaurant. I'm a courier, you fuck! I shout to the man. Oh, for real? I hear. Sorry. Fuck. I say, sticking my head out the window, and see across the street intersection that there is a man wearing a bright reflective blue vest waving to me. He's about eight stories off the ground hanging in a windowsill. You got my ammo? He shouts, still dangling out. Fuck off, dude! I shout to him. Come on now, things are just heating up. I got two tags today already. I don't care! I shout to the guy. I stay hidden in the restaurant, squeezing my arm. I'll meet you down there, he says. The man disappears from the window. A minute later, his face reappears on the ground floor. He spends about two minutes checking around the building before he leaves the entrance and starts sprinting across the intersection. When he gets about 50 paces away, I see him start extending his hand to greet. He says, The name's Mark. 
A shot from a much larger gun rings out from the building right across the street. Mar's arm disappears as another shot erupts. I duck down. I've never felt like this before. I sit there for a moment, panting, wiping bits of wet gray matter off my face when I hear footsteps coming out across the street. Thanks, dude, he says to me, obviously knowing where I am. So I turn out to see the man who just shot Mar. A tall, skinny guy with facial hair that went the whole way around his head, strung up with a Barrett 50 cal over his back and an assortment of other weapons on his body approaches. He is also wearing one of those dorky, blue reflective vests covered in sequins. You selling that ammo? He asks me as he starts digging through what is left of my old customer. In one pocket on his vest, he pulls out a bunch of pink pieces of paper, all with fat Sharpie writing on them. Then in the breast pocket, he removes a single pink sheet that says Marcel Blue on it and stuffs it in with the rest. I suppose so, I say to the man. He digs in the pant pockets. Here, take it all, he says as he throws about 10 MPMs and about 100k compound dollars at me. I turn and hand him the bag full of bullets. Sorry about this douche. Sometimes it's hard to tell who's out here, he says when he takes Mars 30 odd 8 and throws it over his shoulder. You have a good one now, you hear? He says as he steps into the restaurant and disappears into the darkness of the building. Leaving the playground isn't that tough. I was pretty close to the exit from where I was. The problem is now that I'm bleeding. I pick up the pace at a slow jog about 10 blocks away from the arch. I hear the dogs. Turning back, I see a pack of them feasting on the remains of Mar. I better get out of here before they get a whiff of me. Getting back to G-forces takes about an hour. The divide guards give me some gauze to wrap up my arm, thankfully. What happened to you? G4 says, got shot by my mark. For real? You want me to call T-Rex? Don't worry about it. It's no problem, man. One telegram and he's dead. He's already dead, G. Word? Yeah, some other town he blew his brains out while I was there. That's some heavy shit, man. Are you going to be all right? Yeah, I'll be fine. But G-Force already had his med kit out and was pulling out the iodine. G-Force is sort of like a big brother to all of us couriers. And he has a certain responsibility for us, so he likes to treat us when things go wrong. Kid busted up my board, too. Damn, there were some fine hardware pieces on that. I got a spare you can borrow in the back till you get something new, G-Force said as the iodine sizzled. Nice clean shot, thankfully. Should only take about a week before it's prime again. He wraps the arm with fresh gauze. The job board was empty, so I had a couple minutes to spare and grab some food. The skateboard that was loaned to me was a Junker Classic. It had small wheels, small suspension, and hard turning. It could, however, get kicked up, which is nice in certain situations. The wheels chattered the whole way over to Saigon Sal's. What'll it is, Chuck? Sal said. The food stand was built into a wall cut into the side of an old suitcase outlet on Broadway. 
The line was always a little long, but Sal knew how to move it. The place was a glass bar. You could see delicious soups and chicken behind. Sal peeked above it in the narrow window. Big pho, four egg rolls, and a carbonated water. Someone got a tip, Sal said as he loaded up the styrofoam. That'll be 60 cc's. That's compound credits. Uh, four MPs? Yeah, okay, Sal said. I handed him the lighters. You have a good one, Chuck. I sat leaning my back against the wall of the suitcase outlet about 40 feet down from Sal's. It's been a while since I ate this wall. Morning, sunshine. It's B. Bent over, smiling at me straight in my face. B? I say, setting down my food and standing up. She leans back, looking a little bent. It's Billy? Only my sis calls me B. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm still a little hazy from last night. She laughs. Yeah, that was fun. We should do it again sometime. What exactly happened? You don't remember? She said. I shake my head. Too bad, she says. What are you doing today? I don't know. I got a break. I was already shot once this morning. Shot? Where? Here, I say, pointing to the obvious pink gauze on my arm. No, where, where? Oh, down on Titan's playground. You went without me? Did I? Yeah, she huffed, tapping her foot. We talked about it last night? Talked about what? Jeez, Chuck, how drunk were you? Pretty drunk. Well, I'm going to break out tomorrow night. Meet me at the end of High Point, up in the burbs. Okay, I said, not really sure what else to say. Well, I gotta catch up with my sister. She'll wonder where I was. See ya! See ya, I said as she waved and ran back into the crowd. What was that all about? I slumped back down to the wall to finish off my food. But someone had stolen all my egg rolls. Part 4 I rolled back up to Jafar's. The sun had just set and everyone had gone home. I ended up pulling in 25 MPs on a transportation of a bundle of RPG launchers for the gorillas. Nearly blew up the south half of the market when my board hit a rock and I chucked them all into a brick wall. Jafar's quality goods corner store was now ruled by a bunch of rats. Truth is, Walt and I killed the rats some time ago when we got drunk one night and molotov the place. Walt now uses it to hide his ace in the hole. After all the soldiers got back from warring and the country fell apart, Walt and his buddies stole a howitzer cannon and hid it in Walt's parents' basement. Well, after we cleared out that space downstairs, Walt's been keeping it here. It takes up almost the whole goddamn convenience store, plus he's got duffel bags of ammo for it. Walt and I used the staircase we built on the side of the building to get up to our place. It's made mostly of dumpsters, fences, and signs like, Stay the fuck out. Walt was upstairs packing ammo when I got home, like he always likes to do. Wild day today, man, Walt says as I came in to throw my board down, kick off my socks, and grab my Hustler December 2007. So you know that bee chick? My ears perk. Yeah? She swings by my place, right? Today, huge smile. She mentioned you and ordered about 40k of ammo to be delivered to her. Yeah? Yeah, but she wants you to deliver it tomorrow. What? 
Yeah, she says you'd know what's up and gave me the money. She said she'd tip you once you got there. You have to remember that Walt was in the army, so he has to shout everything. Okay, how much did she say? I don't know. She seems like a pretty freaky chick. Yeah, she seems pretty cool. So, are you gonna? Walt questioned. You're just a boner. Whatever, Walt says, turning his back to the ammo. Just saying I would. After another day of delivering around on that shitty skateboard, it's finally sunset. Billy's been in my head all day. Bits and pieces of that strange night keep coming back to me. But then I think something really strange happened. I can't piece it together. I got the ammo that she ordered. More 30-8. My arm got pretty stiff from the wound today, but I've been drinking beers for the last couple hours, so it's starting to loosen up again. The compound border's coming up. The more lax check-in pedestrians coming in from the vendor's market than the wharf. I flash my badge and point to my backpack of ammo with my thumb. The guard gives me a thumbs up. No matter how many times I come through this place, I never see a familiar compound guard. High Point is a cul-de-sac that dead-ends against the high chain fence of God's compound, the brainwashing station where the kids live. There are a couple of houses down the road further away from the compound, but the road really serves no purpose. The place is huge, and I always forget how big it really is. And being on top of a hill, it can be seen from pretty much anywhere in Big Pine. That is, if it weren't so foggy most of the time. But some mornings, when the sun is rising and the mist is low, a huge cross stands over a city, casting a shadow out past the borders of hedges and lawns into a rundown graveyard. The cross now stands here above me at the highest point on the hill. I sit down near a small shrub. The guards and the sentries on the corners of this perfectly square fenced-in box tend to have big guns but small ambition. I hear the rattle of the fence as I turn, and Billy is jumping to give me a hug. You came, she said. You got the ammo? Yeah, it's right here, I said, indicating to my backpack. Let's roll, she said. A spotlight hits us from a tower. There's two over there, they announce in their megaphone. Billy steals my backpack and jumps on my back. On the board, we accelerate down the hill at an alarming rate. Hey, I got a bunch of guns at Pasadena, she says. Rolling back into the vendor's market, I flash my badge and point a thumb at Billy. The guys give me a thumbs up as my wheels roll back onto the brick road. Pasadena is a street that runs parallel to Broadway, one block east of it. The road G-Force lives in between. Right up here, she said, pointing with a hand and foot. The place was an old coffee shop. The interior is almost fuzzy looking from the drug addicts slowly picking away the place for coffee grounds. Billy hops off and jumps the counter, jingling as the bullets bounce in the backpack. I can hear her rummaging for a second, then she pops back up with a duffel bag, obviously the guns. Here they are! She jumps back over the counter now, wearing the backpack of ammo and a duffel bag bandoliered to her. Full speed ahead, she says as she hops back on. Next stop, Titan's Playground. I can see where this is going. But then again, I'm a confused young male, and I don't make decisions on my own. We roll up to the border, going into Titan's Wharf. The security don't really ever check. Nobody cares if you bring anything into Titan's. People only care if you're bringing stuff out.
The road in the wharf gets too bad too quickly, and I had my board under some concrete. I offer to carry the guns as Billy and I walk the rest of the distance through the dark, cool mist. So have you ever played Blue Man Blue before? She asks me. Blue Man who? Exactly. No, but what? I'll explain more just up here. She runs ahead. I walk casually. I'm from this place and I don't feel the need to run. Punk thrashers smoking gunpowder cigarettes are eyeing and talking like they own the place. Billy runs down a shitty little alley that T-bones with a brick wall of one of the giant empty buildings. Down here, she says. There's a small hole in the wall that was covered by garbage. She pushes the backpack through and shimmies in on her belly. I do likewise. Inside the building, we are in some coat check room. There's a large wood bar, but mostly the room is empty and quite dark. All the light that's coming in is the orange glow from the hole we just shimmied through. This is it, Billy announces as she unzips the bag of guns. But inside, there's more than just rifles. There's two of those shiny, bright blue vests, a big one and a little one. Here, this is for you. She hands me the big one. So what exactly am I supposed to do with this anyways? In the game of Blue Man Blue, everyone must always be wearing one of these blue vests. As she buttons her up. Okay. The objective of Blue Man Blue is to be the bluest man of all. This is, of course, achieved by killing the last blue man. So we all kill each other? Well, sort of, but the game never actually ends. Why are we doing this? Just try it, Billy said, putting the vest on me. I don't know. Trust me, Billy whispers as she moves closer, staring me straight in the eyes. It's the biggest rush you'll ever have. She pecks me on the lips and smiles. I'll give it a shot, but if I want to leave, I'm leaving. That's fair enough. Otherwise, I'll meet you back here at sunrise, she said, giving me that look that's coming to be burned in my brain. Okay, so what happens? Okay, here you go, she says, handing me a piece of pink paper and a sharpie. Now write Chuck Blue on it. Why didn't you just write one up for me? You have to write it. Otherwise, what's the point? Okay, I say, grudgingly writing out Chuck Blue. Okay, now put that in your breast pocket. Okay. So, when you tag someone, you want to take all their pink slips, making you bluer than they ever were. Here's your gun, she said, handing me the Remington SPS. My dad used to use them. They're military grade. How come you got a scope on yours? Well, you gotta collect gear. That's half the fun. She said, making a face like, duh. You've done this before? Once or twice? And killed a man? Well, I killed one man, one boy, and a middle-aged woman. Damn. So this is really happening. Yep. But don't worry about it, Charlie. Everyone does it. But don't relax too much either. You don't want to lose your edge. She said, wagging a finger. I guess I slouch. Come on, stick with me for a couple hours so you don't become a pork sausage. Pork sausage? Yeah, someone who dies with only their tag. Billy and I loaded our guns. I don't know, I'm not a big shooter. What? The other night you blew my mind. I guess that night I can't remember I did shoot a gun. Billy had a small insulated fanny pack that kept her ammo from clinking. I insisted I wouldn't need much ammo and just put a single bullet in each of my pockets. So eight on top of five in the clip. I can't believe I was doing this. I guess getting shot the other day showed me that it isn't always the worst thing. But on the other hand, that guy, Mar... The hole we crawled through put us in the park. Billy informed me that any fool dumb enough to walk through the front entrance wearing a blue vest is truly a very, very blue man. The night had a light fog that infiltrated every corner of the building. 
Billy seemed to know where she was going. We left the coat check room, Billy doing marine-grade checks around the corner to make sure that there wasn't any fly traps, as she called them, people who just wait near entrances. The entrance we just came through was called the Red Portal. Billy was saying she heard that there were over 300 entrances into the playground, all hidden. Falling behind Billy was comical in a way, seeing this small girl holding a gun as big as she is. But I had to remind myself that she was a killer, and she did know how to use a gun. Once we left the coaching room, we located a staircase. It was pitch black, climbing up to the next level. I could only hear my feet, grinding slightly on the steps. And at that point, we'll conclude this part of the series. This is part one of two of Billy Blue. The diode was written, read, composed, and produced by myself, Simon Lacey. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I can see the Broadway crowd perpendicular to me from a couple blocks away. G-Force lived just... G-Force. G-Force. <laughs> I can't say his name too many times. <laughs>